Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, good friends. On this Friday morning, November 18, welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and welcome to this week's Reporters Roundtable. As we look back on a week of political turnover, the House of Representatives went from Democratic to barely Republican control. Following Nancy Pelosi's stepping down, the House Democratic leadership went from octogenarian to Gen X. Georgia went from deciding which party controls the Senate to so what? Donald Trump went from whining about 2020 to running for 2024, and today it looks like marriage equality will go from a poison political pill to historic bipartisan support in the U.S. Senate. It's enough to make your head spin, and it's great fodder for today's Blue Ribbon political panel. Starting us off, Ginger Gibson, senior Washington editor for NBC News Digital, who is back on the Bill Press Pod with a new baby and a new job. Hello, Ginger. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me back. Excited to be back. Congratulations. Philip Bump joins us, national columnist for The Washington Post and author of the How to Read This Chart newsletter. Hi, Philip. Sir, how are you? Okay, you're great. And Sudeep Reddy, senior managing editor of Politico, back on the Bill Press Roundtable. Hello, Sudeep. Hi, Bill. Good to be here. When I first came to the floor at six years old, never would I have thought that someday I would go from homemaker to house speaker. It's been my privilege to play a part in forging extraordinary progress for the American people. I have enjoyed working with three presidents, achieving historic investments in clean energy with President George Bush transformative health care reform with President Barack Obama, and forging, and forging the future from infrastructure to health care to climate action with President Joe Biden. So, Ginger, politics aside, um, two decades, actually four presidents, even though she only mentions three, uh, you've got to say Nancy Pelosi is probably the most effective or without doubt, the most effective speaker we've seen in our lifetime, right? In our lifetime, absolutely. Um, and in terms of longevity, I mean, you have to go back to Sam Rayburn before you find someone that was there so long. And I think in effectiveness in running a caucus and and being a whip, a vote whip, um, even though that's you know a, an action, not the title, probably the best to work the building since LBJ. Um, she is just very good at what she does. She has been effective. She has gotten under the skin of her political opponents. As you said, she didn't mention Trump. Uh, And one of my colleagues put it best. She knows how to annoy Donald Trump and that's to not talk about him. Um, And that's exactly (laughs) what she did. Um, And she was just an expert at wrangling votes. I mean, she got Democrats to do things that people didn't think she could get them to do. Um, And she really understood people and what it took to motivate them. Um, And, you know, one of the things that she did, you look back, she got, she mentions the Affordable Care Act passed by, by Barack, under Barack Obama. And she gave up power to do it. She lost the speakership uh, almost as a direct result. And I think that gave her even more authenticity among her members in the years that followed, um, that she was able to say, look, I'll take hard votes. And sometimes you got to take hard votes too. Um, and really, I think history, uh, not just the first woman to hold the job, uh, but one of the most effective um, and really impactful speakers that have, have held the gavel in the United States Congress. Philip, what I think uh, also... Nancy Pelosi showed yesterday, which is rarely seen in Washington, is she knows when to fold them, right? (laughs) So many people just hold on until they're way past their time. And she saw the moment and took it. 
Yeah, no, it, it's a it's a fair point. One of the things we haven't seen, and and I think that that is uh, accompanied by the fact that other senior leaders in the Democratic House uh, caucus also announced that they weren't going to move forward either. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's been all this chatter basically. Uh, since 2020, when Joe Biden was first running, Joe Biden pledged that he wanted to be a bridge to a new generation of leadership. Uh, there's been all this chatter because the Democratic Party skews more heavily toward younger voters than does the Republican Party in particular. There was all this uh, this pressure on older leaders to say, you know what, I, I've, I've reached I've reached the time when it's time to sort of hand things over. Uh, and I think that they they are recognizing that. I also think that one thing that sort of gets lost here is that Americans generally are older than they used to be. Uh, and so we see, you know, this this idea of seniority mm-hmm. sort of moving forward as 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 a leader as long as you can. People are living longer and there are more yeah. older people than there used to be. And so it's sort of extending careers in a way that wouldn't have been the case 30 years ago and forcing people to be like, OK, you know what? Actually, now it is time for me to give this up. Whereas naturally there would be there, there would previously have been sort of a, a more natural terminus to it. Right, right. There still is a time, right, when uh, and uh, you would where where it's time to say move on, move on, turn right, the gavel, exactly. And, and the I think that the over. pressure the pressure on the Democrats to do that is much greater than on the Republicans. So, Sudeep, um, Nancy Pelosi is going to stay in Congress uh, as a backbencher. <laughs> do you really think that's going to uh, that? That's going to be a role that she'll be comfortable playing or able to play. Look, Nancy Pelosi still uh, among Democrats across the country is an icon, and um, she could just fade into the the background and not uh, not walk around the halls, or she can uh, help actually build up uh, the next uh, the next class of the party and help um, share some of her lessons. It's just a remarkable uh, past two decades from the days after the the start of. Uh, of nine, the, the wars of nine eleven to to now, mm-hmm. and you just wouldn't have expected somebody like her to have n- not only um, survived as a leader after the Tea Party movement and and uh, and and that point, and a lot of really really dark moments for Democrats uh, in the years after that, um, but to to now over a period with the rise in popularization of the the internet, and you've got the the AOC uh, social media darling, the the fact that she was able to do that. Um, with with uh, with just just such a grip on power over this period, shows she understood just raw politics. She understood how to get things done and keep people together across an extremely ideologically diverse um, a group group uh, of, in her caucus, from the Blue Dog Democrats to the Squad. That is really hard to do, as 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 we found with. John Boehner and Paul Ryan, they couldn't pull it off and Kevin McCarthy won't be able to pull it off in his party. She could do it. And that's that's something that that is going to be a lesson that has to be passed on to the next generation because it's going to be so much harder to govern in this coming era. Just a footnote on Nancy. I read in Politico this morning, Sudeep, uh, good reporting on, on part of your team, uh, that Nancy Pelosi figures that uh, in her time as speaker, she had to raise... That's another part of the job, raising the money to keep the power. She had to raise $1 million a day, five days a week. And over 20 years, she raised $1.3 billion for congressional Democrats, which sets, I'm sure, another all-time record uh, for for Nancy Pelosi's speaker. Sudeep, you mentioned Kevin McCarthy. So... um, Ginger, so Kevin McCarthy was nominated now for speaker by his caucus, uh, beating back a challenge from the from the Freedom Caucus. Um, I guess two questions for you. Uh, one, do you think he will be elected speaker? He doesn't have the votes yet. And two, uh, the big question for Kevin McCarthy is, as Sadiqin, can he hold his caucus together and actually get things done? If Vegas took bets on who would be the next speaker, they would have a hard time setting the odds on Kevin McCarthy because it is not a done deal, um, not by a long shot. Um, 31 votes is a lot of votes when you need nearly all of them to be speaker. And when you have folks in your caucus who are saying, no way am I going to get on board here? Um, I was talking to one of our reporters who has been out talking to these 
these members and he said, you know, you get really different responses. You, you, people who say, oh yeah, Kevin will figure it out. And people say there's absolutely no way McCarthy is the speaker. Um, so I, I don't think we know. I think it's going to be really difficult for him. And um, if you're watching this over the next few weeks, if we start seeing more and more people announce that they're running, even though they have not won the nomination of the Republican caucus, that's a bad side for Kevin McCarthy. Um, you know, it's it was before the Civil War, the last time a speaker couldn't get a majority of the votes on the floor. Um, and so it's been a long time and was a pretty tumultuous time in American history. Um, and, and I think the thing, Steve has a great point. Kevin McCarthy is not Nancy Pelosi. I mean, nor was John Boehner or Paul Ryan or Tip O'Neill, none of them. Um, and wrangling votes is, is very difficult. And so, you know, can he hold it? Um, and this motion to vacate debate, which is really inside baseball, mm-hmm. really in the weeds, uh, could come back to plague him. Um, I, I get the sense that there's a feeling among his members that he doesn't have, he, he might not have, he might be able to wrangle 218 votes to get the speakership. But what happens the moment there's discontent? What happens the moment they don't like something he's done? They don't like the deal he struck with Biden because he has to. Otherwise, the government shuts down. Otherwise, you know, the Ukrainians don't have enough missiles and there's an international crisis. Um, what happens then? Um, and does he have the ability to wrangle and keep all of those members on, on board? And that's the bigger question to me. And, and, and I don't know the answer. Well, one thing we did see this week, uh, Philip, is um, if they do, uh, well, they will take control no matter who their leader is. We know what the Republican agenda is. Um, James Comer from Kentucky, who would be the, will be, I guess, the chair of the House Oversight Committee, uh, laid it out that this is their number one priority. If we can keep it about Hunter Biden, this is kind of a big deal, we think. If we can keep it about Hunter Biden, that would be great. Yeah, Hunter Biden, and he also said it's not really about Hunter so much as it's about Joe. So a whole string of hearings on Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. Is that what the uh, Republican Party needs? Is that what the country needs, Philip? Uh, well, uh, you know, you sort of, sort of teed that up for me. I mean, look, yeah, I mean, we know, we've known for a while that one of the things that a Republican majority in the House is going to do is really try and drill down into ways in which they might be able to, uh, erode Joe Biden's position, right? Uh, it is the strategy that was taken when, uh, Republicans were in the majority with Barack Obama in the White House. It's what they tried to do with the Benghazi hearings to try and erode Hillary Clinton's mm-hmm. position prior to 2016, which they sort of ended up with a bank shot on that with the email server. Uh, So yeah, I mean, this is this is pretty clearly what they're going to try and do. Uh, It is also a fact that Republican leadership, continues to be beholden to a base that is uh, consumed by conservative media. And this is very Fox Newsy. This is this is (laughs) very much the conversation that Sean Hannity thinks they should be having. And so if you want to get on Sean Hannity and have a good interview, this is the way to do it, right? And it's just sort of, it is definitely baffling to do this after last week when American voters, you know, Republicans by all historic precedent should have had a very good midterm election and didn't in part because, uh, you know, they're sort of so inside the sphere of conversation that is, you know, at odds with where a lot of Americans are. One would think that that this would not necessarily be the first, I mean, not even be, they're not even in power yet. They're already saying this is what we're going to do. It's, it's honestly a little baffling. Um, the, maybe they actually think that there's some fire underneath all the smoke that they've been blowing around about Hunter Biden. Uh, but you know, it's where we're several years into it and there doesn't seem to be much. So we'll see what happens. Sudeep, do we think that a divided Congress might actually be able to work (laughs) or or is that just being too optimistic? (laughs) Be able to work. Um, it depends on what you define as work. I, 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 you know, getting, getting getting legislation passed to the president's desk, uh, with a democratic, yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, short, short of a, uh, a national or global emergency that really shakes people up and shakes their lives. Not, not much is going to happen. Um, that will actually be signed by the president, uh, in the coming two years. And, uh, even before the election, we probably could have uh, imagined what that world looks like, a lot more regulatory uh, power and a lot more happening from federal agencies, a lot more investigations, uh, all of the things we've we've warned of. Um, obviously, the Senate will figure out a way to work, uh, whether it's 50-50 or 51-49, uh, and get certain things done. 
in in service of the president's agenda. Uh, but we're not going to see a whole lot. And it is re- really rather remarkable that um, you, we came right out of the election and all of the the, the pre chest thumping about the red wave and what we were going to see. And we come out of it and it's still talk about Hunter Biden. doesn't seem like anybody's <laughs> taken even a moment to reflect on the fact that this this election was basically handed to Republicans with the, the most incredible set of of uh, of details in the backdrop about inflation, about the national mood, about all these things that really should have been like the most remarkable uh, thump in or whatever whatever you want to to call it yeah. uh, in in those terms, and uh, it didn't happen. And the the next stage of this is we're going to investigate Hunter Biden because we don't have Nancy Pelosi anymore, uh, as if that's going to work. It's probably only going to help. Joe Biden and help uh, d- Democrats if if Republicans take that approach. Yeah. So, uh, Ginger, one of the first, I was surprised to see that um, Kevin McCarthy, uh, among the endorsements that he got uh, to be speaker, was Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is certainly one of the more extreme members of Congress. Uh, in fact, if you don't realize how extreme he is, here's a little montage of Marjorie Taylor Greene over the last couple of years. Q is a patriot. We know that for sure. We had witnessed 9-11, the terrorist attack um, in New York, and the so-called plane that crashed into the Pentagon. I've got a question for you. How do you get avid gun owners to give up their guns? Maybe you accomplish that by performing a mass shooting into a crowd. There's a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take this global cable of Satan worshiping pedophiles out. Uh, so, so, Ginger, my question is, with the support of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is going to be running the Republican caucus, even if McCarthy is speaker? I mean, McCarthy clearly knew he needed uh, Green, Marjorie Taylor Greene um, to, to back him to be speaker, that he needed that faction of his caucus and then he was going to have to do something to get it and so we don't know what he promised that's my question what did he promise her right we don't know if he promised her an impeachment vote we don't know if he promised her committee assignments we just we don't know um and that's going to be really interesting to watch play out well uh enough for this congress here uh let's jump down to georgia Georgia, uh, Philip, I guess the big question is, now that Democrats have at least 50, uh, does Georgia count anymore? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? I mean, if you think about how often in the past couple of years Democrats have been wringing their hands over what Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema were going to do, right? <laughs> I mean, to the extent to which you can uh, uh, make it so that only one of them necessarily is a roadblock to what it is you want to do, I think is advantageous to the Democrats. I mean, again, you know, as was just discussed, it's not as though anything's going to pass the House necessarily. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think particularly in this era, every single vote you can scrape together, they're, they're going to be grateful to have. Right. Um, and uh, also for the makeup of committees, for example, in the Senate, Democrats of 51 will be able to totally control the committees and not have to split them uh, 50-50. Uh, what there is different, though, uh, Sudeep, isn't it? And meaning um, we're not waiting for Georgia to know whether Democrats will have uh, control of the, of the Senate. So does that help Raphael Warnock or... Does that help Herschel Walker? It, uh, it, it there, there are so many dynamics in Georgia right now around uh, Herschel Walker's challenges of of him being alone on the ballot, of not having uh, a a governor's race to to prop him up, not having a lot of things there uh, that will that will I think really shape uh, what what's to come there. Um, generally, if you look at that, and and probably what happened in. Uh, the last runoff two years ago is is uh, is the the kind of dynamic we're facing right now. Except there's nothing really for Democrats to offer as a rallying cry. But back then, partly it was the the stimulus checks. It was other stuff that helped m- maybe bring some voters out and uh, and and push things in a, a little bit further direction. But for Democrats, they they at least have something to to go and say this will actually help help our governing um, if if we do this. Republicans have already lost. Uh, control of the Senate, they don't really have an argument of why they're going to get the energy and the money to go backing um, Herschel Walker, who is obviously uh, in uh, the eyes of a lot of Republicans, not not the strongest candidate. 
Uh, Ginger, what's your read on uh, the possibility of, which I think Democrats are hoping for, uh, a big Donald Trump rally in Georgia for Herschel Walker. <laughs> I mean, I, I, we haven't talked much about Donald Trump, but he launches the campaign and then he does nothing. I can't remember the last time I saw someone do nothing. And so he has no events scheduled, no rallies. And that really speaks to the fact that, you know, they don't maybe want him there. Um, and, and that, although I will say elections, are uh, you know snapshots in time, and they're about and and predicting them is about seeing the trends, right? And things are not trending well for Herschel Walker. Um, if you talk to Republicans before election day, they thought he was going to win outright, and they weren't going to need a, ru- a runoff. And mm. here we are now in a runoff. He did not do. Um, if you look and compare county by county, counties that uh, Loeffler won in January. Um, he underperformed her. In counties where Warnock won um, in January, he overperformed himself, right? Um, that's a bad trend line for Walker um, in, on multiple fronts. And so how do you disrupt the trend line? How do you change something? Um, I'm not seeing him do anything to disrupt that that trend line. Um, so a uh, big question, does Donald Trump exacerbate it or could he disrupt the trend line? Um, and I think they're afraid that he'll make it worse. Um, but but he if he's going to win, I think he's going to need something uh, to reverse the trend. Uh, well, so, Philip, before we take a break here, um, just one final point on Georgia. Uh, we wonder what some of the issues are, what, what the issues that will carry the day in Georgia. Uh, here's one that we never thought would pop up as an issue, but Herschel Walker uh, talked about it this week. The other night, the other night, I was watching this movie. I was watching this movie called Fright Night, Freak Night, or some type of night. But it was about vampires. I don't know if you know vampires are cool people, are they not? But I'm gonna tell you something that I found out: a werewolf can kill a vampire. Did you know that? I never knew that, so I didn't want to be a vampire anymore. I wanted to be a werewolf. But then, anyway, as I'm watching this movie, and then you can tell how stupid it is because it's one in the morning. So I'm watching my TV. Are these kids watching their TV? Uh, vampire kill on their TV. Uh, <laughs> well, Philip, I never knew a werewolf could kill a vampire. Kill a vampire, so I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think the real question is, how's this going to play in the suburbs of Atlanta? You know, what's you know, <laughs> yeah. what's what's the what's the demographic this is going to affect in Augusta? We really need to dive deep into the numbers here to understand this important <laughs> werewolf slash whatever it was zombie dynamic. <laughs> we'll get back to you. I'll I'll I'll, I'll poke into it. I'll, I'll get back. Uh, to yeah, you. look into it and let us know. We we'll <laughs> it certainly uh, uh, was one we've never heard raised, and I think any Senate campaign in history before. So there we are. Uh, Again, let's take a quick break here uh, on the Bill Press Spot, and then we'll be back with today's panel. I want to congratulate all of us. We really haven't talked about Donald Trump's big announcement yet, but we have to at least give a little time to it, which we will after the break here with today's panel. Philip Bump from The Washington Post, Sadiq Reddy from Politico, and Ginger Gibson from NBC News Digital. And for today's uh, podcast and today's roundtable for our break, I want to remind you that cold weather is coming and the holidays are coming. So it's time to think seriously about A, some warm clothing and B, some holiday shopping. I got the answer for you. Go online to carolpressscarves.com carolpressscarves.com. You've heard me talk before about my wife, Carol. Uh, She is a weaver. Uh, She makes these beautiful rayon chenille or bamboo scarves. Each one is handwoven. Each one is a work of art. I got to tell you, uh, I never wear one on the metro or anywhere else without somebody stopping me and saying, where did you get that scarf? It's so beautiful. Uh, Check it out yourself. Uh, Carolpressscarves.com. The perfect gift for this season, perfect gift for yourself or for someone you love, check it out at carolpressscarves.com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And we're back with today's panel here, today's political panel, reporters panel on the Bill Press Pod. Sadiq Reddy, Senior Managing Editor of Politico, Philip Bump, National Columnist for The Washington Post, and Ginger Gibson, Senior Washington Editor for NBC News Digital. So, Sadiq, let's go to here he is, Donald Trump, telling his explanation in his announcement of why Republicans didn't do better. Much criticism is being placed on the fact that the Republican Party should have done better, and frankly, Much of this blame is correct, but the citizens of our country have not yet realized the full extent and gravity of the pain our nation is going through, and the total effect of the suffering is just starting to take hold. They don't quite feel it yet, but they will very soon. Uh, So Sadiq's message is, uh, we did lousy, but don't blame me, right? Yeah, this is, we got to see low energy Trump uh, this yeah. week, which was kind of, kind of, kind of remarkable. Uh, I, I, I tuned in for the, for, for the exciting announcement and uh, had to change channels from, uh, from Fox and CNN and uh, go all the way down to Newsmax to actually listen <laughs> to the whole thing. Uh, and uh, I don't think I've, I've, uh, I've watched Newsmax uh, in, in a while this cycle, but, uh, but here we go. This is the moment to do that. Uh, this is, look, Do- Donald Trump uh, is, is playing, uh, playing two approaches here. One is obviously he he would like to become president again, but he's also trying to raise money and be relevant and uh, fund his empire in a moment when he could be facing some pretty profound legal challenges. And he he did not discuss all of that and what his true motivations are here. Uh, But uh, boy, uh, grab some popcorn of the Trump versus DeSantis show for the next year, because it is going to be uh, a, a remarkable exercise in uh in trolling by DeSantis and his team. Yeah, and Ginger, the response to um Trump's announcement among Republicans seemed to be like the sound of one hand clapping, right? I mean, not exactly people rushing out to support him for 2024. There was not a rush. And I think part of the thing we need to consider though is that Republicans who needed something from Trump, governors who needed something from Trump, Republican and Democrat, knew that Trump liked being talked nicely about in public. Um, And so they did it a lot. That's how uh, we know there's lots of reporting about during COVID, governors were going on TV and complimenting Trump to get him to respond to them. Well, that that is gone. They don't need anything from him anymore. So we definitely Mm. did not see that type of response. Um, And I think we saw maybe a slightly more sort of reflective of what they think. Um, But like when he was in office, we know that Republicans would rather him go away. Uh, Even if they won't say it publicly, they say it privately. And I think that was reflected. And it's, you know, a lot of feeling that he was to blame for how uh, last week, election went, that he dragged down their candidates, that he picked candidates that couldn't win, um, and a lot of animosity about that. So um, I don't think, however, we should take that to mean he can't win the nomination. I, I think that's incorrect. Um, and I think that if this were sort of a, a normal, and I'm going to use like air quotes around normal, there's <laughs> what's normal, what's normal, <laughs> election cycle, we would be sitting here going like, 
all right, the midterms over, who's going to run? And we would be cautioning ourselves that it's a long way away and lots can change in that time. We don't know who's going to get in. Um, he did the unusual thing of jumping in very, very early. Uh, lots of people can speculate why. Um, and and so it is a long time and a lot can change and he's not really running yet. Um, and so I think that um, there's so many moving parts here and we're watching him sort of jump in in a way that in six months from now, you might be saying, Bill, wow, the Republicans sounded like they were clapping with one hand and now they've all rallied around them. Or we might be saying that response we saw was indicative and, and it's played out and he's not going to get anywhere. And, and it's just so far away, it's it's impossible to tell. Philip, haven't we seen this movie before where we think this is a moment when the Republicans break with Donald Trump, for sure, right? Dump Donald oh, yeah. Trump and move on. And... Uh, so is it going to happen this time? Oh, I like you try to get me on record to be wrong here. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, I mean, look, yeah, we had, I mean, we've seen this from July 2015, right? I mean, we, you know, when he badmouthed John McCain, we saw right. this. We saw, oh, this is it. I'd say he doomed himself, right? His shtick has always been, I'm the guy who's running against the elites. And he's been very good at times as framing other Republicans as the elites. Uh, and that has always worked for him with a subset of the real electorate. I, I think really the question comes down to how many other people run. If it is a one-on-one contest between him and DeSantis, I think he's in trouble. If it is a, a, a you know, a one-on-ten contest between against him and, and DeSantis and, and Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo and you know, whoever else it happens to be, then I think he's doing a lot better because that's how he won in 2016. He had this core base of support that stood by him, powered him through the early primaries, helped him build up a lead. Uh, I think Republicans are very justifiably concerned about having him at the top of the ticket and what that means for their chances. Uh, but I also think that to a large extent, uh, they have never figured out how to crack Donald Trump's relationship with his base. Uh, and I'm not sure that right now, you know, one of the other things we've seen repeatedly is that there are often short, there's short term blowback that Donald Trump just weathers and presses forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, this is this is short term blowback. And, uh, you know, we have January 6th. He's still popular. Right. There's his his yep. popularity declined after January 6th. And then it rebounded a little bit. It stayed steady. So, you know, is this worse than January 6th in the eyes of Republican voters? I, I, I'm skeptical. Ginger, I, I think I've noticed. I'm, I'm curious in your uh, take on it. That one other thing that's different about this announcement is um, the media coverage, that the media is not quite as fawning, if you will, or as uh, just, you know, uh, giving him full play. Sudeep alluded to this a little bit, as they were in 2016 and as they were during his presidency. Is that, am I right? I, I watched it on C-SPAN, which always carries these things. Oh, so I did not have yeah. to switch between channels, okay. Sadie, just so you know. But yes, yeah. I, I do think we're seeing a change in in how we all approach him. Um, I mean, we watched some, you know January 11th play out. We watched the fallout after the 2020 election. We know um, that he says things that aren't true. Um, and he says things repeatedly that aren't true to try to convince people that they are. Um, and we are cautious about that and repeating that. And so I do think that there is a difference, but I also think that we can't not cover him. We have to not just talk about him in these circles, but we have to be explaining to the the public at large what he's doing and what he's saying. Uh, because the thing that he could do, and I think you sort of alluded to this earlier, sneak up on us, right? We 2015, we all sort of didn't take him seriously. Um, and suddenly he was winning. Um, you know, he was finishing second in Iowa. He was winning New Hampshire. And we had not done a good enough job of explaining to our readers and our viewers that he was coming and that it was a thing that was actually happening. Um, and so I think we're all trying to figure out that balance. How do we make sure people know this is what's going on without giving him sort of that unfettered ability to just go out and repeat lies in our stories, on our air. And, and it's not easy. And we're going to be navigating it for as long as he's around. So from the former president to the almost forgotten current president, uh, Joe Biden, uh, Sudeep, what is the, well, first of all, let me ask you, just building on the Donald Trump thing, the fact that Donald Trump announces 
Does that increase the chances that Joe Biden will, in fact, decide to run for re-election? Uh, you you would have to to think that that's the question on Joe, Joe Biden's mind right now. He, uh, in a way, wanted to be president because of Donald Trump, or at least uh, decided to put his hat in the ring in what was uh, obviously in 2019 and 2020, a remarkable democratic field of, of a lot of fresh faces, a lot of different ideas. And uh, the fact that Joe Biden came out of that entire field as the one who stood out tells you about the type of person who could actually beat Donald Trump. And that's, that's the Democrats fear. That's the, the, uh, the SNL skit already uh, that we've seen uh, about uh, Democrats in this moment. And, and Joe Biden has to be, has to be thinking about that and, and what it means for his legacy and, uh, and, and for the country in that setting, when there are a lot of Democrats, again, who could step up and and be the voice of the party uh, going forward. And so, that's uh, that that's going to be on his mind. But he also has got to to come out of this and uh, be a little surprised and pleased and proud that after a midterms where everybody was 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 really thinking that he was going to lose control of of all of Congress um, and and be kind of hobbled out of this, that to have such a, a strong showing, not just in the Senate, but in the House, it tells you something about where his standing is, despite, as I, I said mm-hmm. earlier, the, the mood of the nation and inflation and all the things that could have gone wrong to give support to Republicans in this cycle and to, to come out so close, it tells you about Joe Biden's staying power and how he's proven people wrong over and over and over again. Uh, indeed, he has. Uh, I think CNN had a piece up this week calling him the most underestimated president in modern times. Uh, but Philip, the elephant in the room, <clears throat> right, is the fact that this Sunday, Joe Biden will turn 80 years old. Uh, is that a factor? Should it be a factor? Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> this is this goes back to what, what I was saying earlier about uh, generations and Democrats in particular. Uh, Joe Biden is already the, the oldest president in American history. Um, Donald Trump would be, you know, uh, up there as well. I mean, he's not as old as Joe Biden is, but you know, if he were to be elected in, in 2024, he would be nearly as old. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, this is something that has been a frustration to Democrats for a while. As I mentioned earlier, Joe Biden did pledge to be sort of this bridge to a new generation, but that is a reminder that he is of, I mean, he's not even a boomer. He's, he's a member of the silent generation that predates the baby boom. And that is something that Democratic voters continue to find a little frustrating, you know, particularly because they tend to skew uh, younger than Republicans. Uh, you know, I think that Biden has, since he began running in 2020, he has been faced with these questions about his uh, acuity and his competence for the job. I think that he, as president, he has done a good job of tamping that down simply by virtue of, of doing the job and you know doing <laughs> things like winning the midterms unexpectedly. Uh, but yeah, I think that's going to be a real question for folks. And I think that's another reason why if Donald Trump is his opponent, he is advantaged simply because that that it becomes less of a liability running in someone as nearly as old as he is. Right. So um, with so much about what cannot get done, we did see um, maybe a little minor miracle in the Senate this week when uh, by with 62, 62 votes for passing the Marriage Equality Act, which would make same-sex marriage uh, legal in every state in uh, the nation. Uh, Ginger, in many ways, uh, this is a remarkable uh, development uh, and the time when the Senate makes history, correct? It is pretty remarkable when you think about the fact that uh, I think, Bill, I did your podcast uh, after the <laughs> decision came down, right? So like, it is not just uh, like yeah. in our lives, like it is in modern time, you know, like in recent years, yes. uh, the Supreme Court, uh, you know, made same-sex marriage legal in all 50 states. So it is a long way. I mean, it's, you can see uh, the change in public opinion and it is reflected in the Senate. So um, it, it is probably not a bill that goes as far as a, an activist would like. There is some um, suggestion that it could be outlawed in some states if the court overturned it. Um our Supreme Court reporter insists to me that there's really no indication that the court will. So maybe it's moved, but, but I think it doesn't matter. I think what we see is a Senate that said, 
the American people are here. Let's let's sort of get there with them. Um, and it is evidence that that does happen sometimes. It doesn't happen often, but sometimes the Senate sort of gets to the point where the public is, um, and that that is happening here. Uh, and Sudeep, I remember clearly in two thousand four, this was the issue that Republicans used for the re-election of George W. Bush. And they had initiatives on the ballot in many states. Karl Rove put that together. Uh, and the whole thing was, uh, vote for us because we'll never let uh, gay marriage or same-sex marriage happen. Um, and yet, look look at, this, look at this total reversal, right, uh, in a little over a decade and a half. It is remarkable. It is It is absolutely uh, remarkable to, to have lived through the the 1996 moment with Bill Bill Clinton and Defense of Marriage Act to live through yeah, the, yeah. the 2004 2005 people with with uh, moment with Karl Rove uh, to to live through even the the angst among Republicans in uh, 2010 with uh, Don't Ask Don't Tell in 2011 and the Supreme Court case and now uh, it, it's it's kind of just shrugs all around and that that is that is forward motion as a nation that is people uh, uh, that is the the Congress uh, catching up with the country, which is what the Supreme <laughs> Court recognized uh, on its own uh, within the last decade and, and moved on. And um, that is, in a way, what what politics um, has often done and long done, that politics catches up uh, with, with the, the country rather than uh, rather than leads it. Um, and I think it's a it's a lesson. And there have obviously been some remarkable books uh, written about uh, the, the gay marriage battle over the last 25 years. Um, but this is a lesson for history on how to actually uh, generate change for the long run, um, and to to now barely get get much of a a news story or even headlines out of a historic uh, Senate vote to come is just it's it's mind blowing. Yeah, Congress catching up with uh, public opinion. Uh, I like that. I like that's a good way of putting it. So, Philip, you know, I always I used to bet people about which would happen first legalization of pot or legalization of same-sex marriage. Uh, and I always bet pot would get there first. <laughs> you follow these polls and, and these current trends more than anyone else I know. How do you read it? What happened? Yeah, no, it's a great point. Back in 2014, I remember uh, at the Post, I made a, a, a Venn diagram of states where you could be married to someone who of the same gender as yourself and and legally smoke marijuana. At the time, there were like <laughs> three states in the middle of that Venn diagram, and obviously it's expanded outward. I, yeah. I, I think there are a couple of things happening here. I, I think obviously there's been this, this cultural shift. Um, I actually wrote yesterday on the fact that really the only group of people who are fervently opposed to, to the legal same-sex marriage at this point are really uh, conservative, strong Republicans, uh, which isn't surprising and I think explains a lot of why the vote in the Senate looked the way that it did. Uh, but it's, you know, it is a small subset of the American population at this point. Uh, the marijuana, I think, has a few challenges. One is that the people who I think it's safe to say are most supportive of it are also the people who have the, the least voice in American politics, which is to say younger voters, uh, mm. that that um, that the, the level of support there doesn't match with their actual engagement in politics, which I think is hampering it. But also I think marijuana still has a, a stigma to it, uh, largely due to misunderstanding that's born in part of the drug wars of the 1980s, right? Like when I was a kid, yeah. I'm going to tell a story I've probably never told before. When I was a kid, and this is true, my sister wanted to go to a Brian Adams concert in the 1980s. And we went to this uh -huh. Brian Adams concert at the War Memorial of Rochester, New York, and a guy in front of us was smoking weed. And I freaked out because I was a little kid and I heard all these things about me. You know, I mean, like there's there's nowhere safer in the universe than a Brian Adams concert, for God's sake. But like I made us leave because I was freaked out about it. And I think oh. there's this that stigma sort of carries on to this day for a lot of Americans that marijuana is this thing that's that is far more dangerous than it actually is. Yeah, it's just uh, amazing to see it. And so welcome to see the Senate make this move. And uh, I hope as we speak that they're getting ready to do the right thing and and and. Uh, do that vote today uh, and make it actually the law of the land. Great panel, guys. Uh, we covered a lot. I hope we didn't leave anything on the sidelines. If not, we won't get to it next week. Uh, but we won't let you go without uh, just asking you, what was the one story that really caught your attention, stopped you in your tracks, made you stop and think or weep or laugh or whatever about today, uh, this week? Your favorite story. Um, Sudeep, why don't we start with you? 
Phil, we all have an addiction problem. We know it. We are addicted to Twitter. <laughs> we are addicted to yeah. social media and watching the Twitter meltdown oh. uh, over the last two weeks. Uh, there are two stories. We've all been watching the, the political races, but the Twitter meltdown, I think, really just tells us something about our politics as well. And uh, for, for those who, who haven't caught up, uh, the bulk of the Twitter staff has quit um, yeah. and somewhat forcibly quit, uh, but they've quit. And now we are we are on a death watch for a platform that doesn't really have the engineering support behind it, um, at least at the moment. I'm sure it will come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hasn't fallen apart yet, but uh, when it does fall apart, it will probably come back. Um, but it really, you, you think about this, and a lot of people on Thursday night were spending spending time with RIP Twitter and, and thinking about how profound uh, the, the impact of social media has been. And other things will, will uh, obviously overtake it. Uh, in time, and we've seen the rise of of, uh, of TikTok and other platforms, but the way Twitter drove the national conversation through media, through politics, uh, not just for for Donald Trump, obviously, but for a, a generation uh, of uh, of up and coming Democrats, for Republicans who were just figuring it out in the Tea Party era, that is is remarkable. It's all a nation talking to itself. And Twitter, more than anything, let, let <laughs> yeah. I think let us reveal our, our true selves, um, which is dangerous. But also, I think it brought some transparency to what's really going on in parts of the American psyche. And uh, uh, I hope it doesn't die. But uh, if it does, I think that's what we'll we'll remember for it. It's remarkable. I mean, and also the contrast between Elon Musk, SpaceX, and Elon Musk, tes- Tesla, and Elon Musk. <laughs> Twitter. I mean, is, can this be the same person? It makes you truly, wonder. truly yeah, remarkable. I do. Oh, Philip Bump. Uh, I know you're a Twitter follower. Well, that's right. You use Mastodon now, right? Or, I, I I do. I've sort of dipped my toes over there, just as, as sort of a, a safety net, uh, as yeah. much as it is. Yeah. I mean, I've been on Twitter for like a third of my life. It's it is it is sort of a bleak statistic to consider, but you know it's an important part of what I do. Um, but your favorite the, story, yeah. My favorite story is actually one we were talking about, and I, I came prepared to this. Was one we were talking about before we actually started recording here, which is this massive snowfall in Western New York. So oh. I, I grew up in Rochester, and so people don't understand that, like the the the, the Western New York sits just east of Lake Erie, and so Lake Erie, you get all this cold air blowing across the lake and all this moisture, and you get all these massive snowfalls in the snow belt there in Buffalo, Rochester area. Buffalo getting absolutely pound with snow right now and i just want people who are hearing this podcast to understand first of all that i i live down in new york city and i'm jealous that i'm not getting that snow uh because it's sort of in my blood but i want people to understand that this is like for for people in buffalo yeah it's a lot of snow but they are so used to this and, and so i really want you know I, I don't want to get too ahead of you know there may be you know horrible situations that emerge here but this is the this is this is a, a, a larger than normal snowfall uh, that really sort of is, is kicking off winter in an area that is extremely used to snowfall. And, you know, as someone who is now a, an expat at the region, I'm just, I'm just jealous. And I wish. We <laughs> well, it's nice to know that they're prepared and they're ready for it and they're used to it. But I did, see, I did hear this morning that they can expect as much as three inches an hour. Uh, God, Sadeep, imagine what that, uh, Ginger, imagine what that would do to Washington, D.C., not three would, inches would, an hour, just three inches, right? Totally. Triple us, and yeah. It would. So, uh, Ginger, while you have the microphone, what was your what uh, caught your attention this week? So I am going to uh, uh, point to a story that one of my reporters did, Alex Seitzwald, and it's fantastic. Um, for those watching the Sam Bankman-Fried FTX collapse, oh, oh, crypto yes collapse um he did a fantastic story the headline on it is vegan canapes and fat donations how stan bankman fried won washington before he lost everything and he delves into how he took all of his money and he came to dc and he tried to buy influence um and it and it worked um Mm -hmm. and and he was running in circles in dc he was throwing money at democrats his partner was throwing money at republicans um and there were people who were a little um leery of him but he was doing the and his brother who was sort of his point man in dc uh doing the circuit they were going to dinner parties they were going to happy hours um it's a great look at how even a really young person can sort of come roaring into Washington with a lot of cash uh, and quickly gain Mm -hmm. a lot of influence. And now it's going to all be gone from uh, the Democratic Party. Yeah. 
yeah, you you pair that with the Elon Musk story, right? <laughs> uh, and what a look at corporate uh, corporate America this week. Uh, not such a positive one. Well, I have to tell you, my uh, favorite story. Uh, it's very quick, very simple. But uh, I, I, after the midterms, we all know that the headline writers had a field day, um, and there were some wonderful headlines. Trumpy Dumpty. Uh, of course, a front page of the New York Post was uh, a favorite of mine. But my favorite one of all was, believe it or not, on the Drudge Report, which in addition to Politico and then Washington Post and NBC, I still look at Drudge Report. Um, and this was about the governor's race in Arizona. Uh, and when it was finally called, there was a picture at the top of the Drudge Report, a photo of Kerry Lake, and the headline simply said, Lake runs dry. <laughs> I just thought that was a great headline. Lake runs dry. And of course, as we speak, Kerry Lake is the only election denier that I know of who has refused to concede uh, her election and is vowing she's like Donald Trump, whom she visited yesterday at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, she's vowing to fight it all the way to the end. But I think most people are saying, well, who cares? You lost. You're a loser get out of the way uh at any rate lake ran dry indeed in arizona and with that with that we say a great big thank you to today's panel thank you city Breddy. thank you philip bump thank you ginger gibson ginger of course from nbc news digital philip bump washington post and city Breddy from politico uh we thank our panels panelists and we thank all of you for being with us today for today's roundtable have a great weekend happy birthday mr president we will see you on Tuesday. Be sure to come back for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.